I was first introduced to Fangoria as a kid when I found myself in the adult section of the bookstore. Since 1979, Fangoria has been the authority in the world of contemporary horror. What started as a print media company has since become a one-stop shop for horror merch and now a production studio. For being a Your Horror listener, you can stock up on your horror needs or start your magazine subscription with code Your Horror Podcast, or by clicking the link in the show notes below. Get 20% off store-wide with code Your Horror Podcast. Now back to the episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast, where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. <laughs> Can y'all tell I have fun with that? I am Avery, your Queerfully Fearfully host. And let me be the first to say, it is so nice to be back with y'all. My first two episodes were with guests, so this is the first time this season that it's just us. Last episode, I talked with author Justin C. Key about his debut collection, The World Wasn't Ready For You. That conversation had some heavy topics, but it was good, very good. And so is the book. If you're looking for a new book and author to enjoy, or you just enjoy conversations about black horror and fiction, make sure you check it out. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates, such as what to expect for every new episode. And on that note, also, make sure that you're subscribed to my Substack because I am, I have actually no other persuasive, (laughs) other persuasive things to say about it besides the fact that, you know, I only post bi-weekly now because of work and busy, busy girl things, but like the subsec is kind of supposed to replace that middle episode, you know, um, and sometimes I'll put episode previews in there, I'll put, like, horror news that's going on, small little reviews of books or movies or shows that I may have watched then. Um, So, if that interests you, then definitely subscribe, because I do think, I don't really cover horror news on the podcast, just because there's so many things to cover when I do have the podcast episodes, Um, and I also, I mean, I read quite a bit and I watch quite a bit in two weeks so there's just a lot to review and I can't get to it all so if you're interested in any of that uh become a subscriber let's do a little catching up okay because it's been a while since we talked last uh I mean the last time that we talked just us was in July yeah it was in July and there were a lot of things that happened in August And even in, I mean, the month of September, I was in a short film with Drop Dead Gorgeous Films. She's a mutual of mine on Instagram. She has a lot of horror short films. And, I mean, I was not the protagonist, but that is okay because that is less responsibility that I have 
and yet I still get to be in a horror short film. So perfectly fine. So excited to see the fin the finished product because I do like a creepy smile. I'm not covered in blood anything, sadly, but uh, I do this like creepy smile and I'm excited to see the way it turns out. Uh, let's see, what else? What else happened? WGA and SAG After Strikes are still happening um, and I'm really, really hoping that they can come to an agreement that works for the actors, for the writers, because it's honestly kind of stupid that they're not, I mean, I know that's like, that's such a uh, bottom, like bottom tier word to use, but it really is stupid that they can't get paid what they need to be paid. I mean, they literally are carrying the entertainment industry. They're carrying Hollywood on their backs. Well, I mean, them and production crews, you know, the all of the people on the production crews, lighting, makeup, hair, everyone is very, very important, carrying everything on their back. The people who are hoarding the money are the ones who aren't carrying anything but their money that they're hoarding. And there's several yachts and vacation homes. And there's absolutely no reason why anyone should have multiple boats and vacation homes. Okay? Um, so yeah, that's my little tangent on the strike. I did have to restructure. I think I might have like talked about it a little bit in my first episode of season five. But I did have to restructure the... Uh, the podcast like season five because of the strike so i'm trying to do movies that are not currently like with struck companies and or were not with struck companies at the time that they were released um which is why today's movie is the movie that it is um very excited to talk about that i mean yeah i've i've had two very exciting guests on the podcast but that is not the end of the guests for the podcast. This is the most guests that I've had on the podcast, I feel like, on any podcast season to date. So I just love that. It does mean that we get less time with each other. But you know what? It's okay because you're getting to know more horror fans and industry people. And I love that for both of us. Now, before we get into this uh, movie that we came here to talk about today... We have to talk about what we're streaming reading and watching now i have been trying to kind of like keep production companies streaming companies um out of the podcast episodes for respect of the strike um so i won't necessarily say where i'm streaming them on but also you have google you have the capabilities of searching these things up for yourself i believe in you uh, so I actually started Killing Eve about, mm, I want to say two weeks ago, and I'm on season four. <laughs> I, you know, what can I say? When I start a show that just hooks me from the start, I'm going to finish it. And it's a lesbian show. What can, what can go wrong, you know? And they're also, it's like women fighting each other, but also being like madly in love with each other. What can go, what can go wrong? Uh, what can be bad about it? Absolutely nothing. Love that show. It has Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer in it. And I'm going to be so upset when I finish season four. But that's what I get for binging a show in two to three weeks. But what I want to start next is Scream Queens because October is coming up. And Scream Queens is the perfect show to start. Uh, also Chucky. I, I watched Chucky or started the Chucky series. Um, and... 
I am on season two of that. I'm looking forward to season three, although I know that it's very different from season two. It has like a different cast, but I, I do really enjoy what Don Mancini is doing with the series. I think he's really able to put his own identity and into the series, whereas he wasn't fully able to before. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah. If you haven't seen the Chucky series, make sure you go check it out. There's also the Crystal Lake series is in development. I think it's in development, or maybe it's, like, coming out soon. Um, but whatever you do, speaking of series coming out, whatever you do, do not watch the new American Horror Story season because it was finished by Scabs, I repeat, Scabs, the like production for the new American Horror Story season stopped because of the strike, but then Scab Workers came in and finished it during the strike, and we don't support that. So if you're listening to me and you are watching the American Horror Story season and you're listening right now and you're like, I'm still going to watch it. <gasps> what? What? We need to have a sit down conversation. <laughs> I've watched a lot of movies over the past two months as well. When I work, I need a little something to, to play in the background, and podcasts just don't do it all the time for me. So I watch movies and or shows. And uh, I've been watching a lot of older shows, but I've also been watching just, or not shows, but movies. And I've also been watching a lot of like newer movies as well. And um, I did not see The Nun. I did not, the new one. Uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. If you're looking for a review on The Nun from me, you can go to one of my mutuals and I'm sure that they have one for you. Other movies that I've seen, I saw Haunting in Venice. Um, I saw Cobweb, which I think I saw that in July and I think I might have talked about it on another episode briefly. Um, other than that... What other movies have I watched, specifically in theaters? I feel like there was a brief pause on horror movies uh, in theaters because also, like, October's coming up, so you have The Exorcist coming out. But one movie that I do want to talk about is Bottoms. Oh my gosh, that movie changed lives. Like, people died. Actually, people died. Like, I... That movie is smart. Can't say it's sophisticated, but it's smart, it's witty, you have, like, I mean, a masterpiece. I'm speechless. Cinematic masterpiece. And I do hope that we start to see more, uh, like, comedies, like, satirical comedies in a way. Just like Bottoms, I hope we start to see more of that. Because comedy, for me, is always a hit or miss. And it's really hard to gauge whether I like comedy and then I also hate just like sitting through a comedy and not really finding it funny because then it's like, I feel like I'm missing out. Like it's not even that I have like a superiority like, oh, I just don't think this is funny. I'm too advanced for this. But it's just like, I feel like I'm missing out and I want to be able to laugh at the jokes. And Bottoms was funny and I've, I saw it three times. I will see it a fourth time and a fifth time if needed and it, it is needed. Um, so yeah, it's coming to digital soon. And if you haven't seen it yet in theaters, either make sure you see it in theaters or see it on digital, whatever. It doesn't matter, but you have to see it. Uh, Reading-wise, 
I'm reading out there screaming the Jordan Peele anthology that has Justin C. Key in it. He has a piece in it. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I got a advanced reader copy um, from the publisher. I don't even know who the publisher is, to be honest. But yeah, I'm reading that. I'm reading Crown in the Cornfield too. That's kind of like my background book because I get books that like I request on NetGalley or something and then I'll get accepted for it. And so that has a time limit. So then I'm like, okay, I have to finish this. Um, and so, you know, then I go back to reading Crown in the Cornfield. I recently read Mr. Magic and I was going to do a podcast episode on it, but I decided to do Out There Screaming instead just because I feel like it would be a better episode. But Mr. Magic was good. It was published by Penguin Random House. And it's kind of like, think of Barney and all the kind of conspiracies and darkness that surrounds Barney and, and just like that time in the 90s. And think of a horror book. And that's kind of what it is. It was good. It had its kind of like downfalls for me. There's like a... Um, there's like a kind of magical, fantastical element to it that I wasn't prepared for and I wasn't a super big fan of, but all in all, it was a fun book to read, so, you know, no hate, no hate, Latino shade, but that's all I'm reading, all I'm watching, all I'm streaming, and I'm interested in hearing what you all are reading, streaming, and watching, so make sure you hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, or Substack, y'all, because you can comment on Substack and we can have a conversation, a real conversation. So either way, make sure you're reaching out to me, telling me what you enjoy, telling me what you don't enjoy, and just, I, you know, just let me, let me learn about y'all, okay? Speaking of, last time we talked, really talked, last season, I talked about y'all coming up with a, with a kind of like a a group name you know like how one direction had the directioners and bless you you'll hear my dog um how the direct how the one direction had one directioners how ariana grande has the arianators you know something something for y'all um so that i don't have to just call you listeners because you're so much more than that like uh like that man said in fast and furious your family <laughs> so you know, just just chat amongst yourselves. Find a name that really, really fits. Um, whether that's like, I don't know, like, you know what? No, I uh, creative juices are gone for the day, so I can't. I can't even think of one on the spot. That's enough chit chatting though, because we are here for one thing and one thing only, and that is Ginger Snaps, the two thousand, two thousand. No, nothing after. 2000 werewolf horror feminist movie we love it men hate it that makes us love it more so this movie was directed by john fawcett but it was written by a woman and you all know how i feel about women like women's woman-centric movies being directed by men but as long as it's written by a woman i am okay and it was written by karen walton um, its runtime is an hour and 48 minutes, and it was initially released on August 1st of 2000 at the Munich Film Festival, or Fantasy Film Festival, and it was widely released in May of that same year, whether it was 2000 or 2001. Somebody's lying to me. Um, 
It is starring Catherine Isabel as Ginger, Emily Perkins as Bridget, or B as I will refer to her, and Chris Limke? Limchi? Limchi? Lim? Yeah. Um, as Sam, also known as McKinley from Final Destination 3. Love that movie. Love him. Whatever genre of man that is, I enjoy them in movies. Now, some fun facts about this casting, because there is, there's a lot of tea. Um, Emily Perkins, who, who plays Bridget, uh, is actually older, was older than Catherine Isabel, but Perkins ended up playing the younger sister in the film, and when you watch it, you can see why, I think, because in, like, stature and build and everything like that, Catherine Isabel does look like the older sister. But as we talk more about this, we'll talk about how they look alike and how they don't look alike. Uh, Scarlett Johansson auditioned for the role of Bridget, but her mother pulled her from it after the controversy surrounding it, which we will also talk a little bit about because there is a lot. Um, And then the man behind both werewolves in the film is Nick Nolan. One thing about this movie is its use of practical effects, which we will also be talking about. The sad thing is that it was a major flop in the box office. The budget for the movie was $4.5 million, but it made $572,000 in the box office, which is sad and insane because how do you flop that hard i mean no hate to them because i love them but like how do you flop that hard uh john fawcett the director with the desire to make a female-led creature feature turned to karen walton the writer who was apprehensive about writing horror she felt the genre had a poor reputation that often negatively portrayed women and is she wrong i don't think so At the time of casting, Canadian casting directors were turned off by the subject of the film and its language. Even after they secured one, two school shootings, one being Columbine, tainted the nation's perception of the film. So they were dealing with all of this negative buzz surrounding their movie. Honestly, even before production even began, like people were talking about it. And yet y'all still flopped, which is crazy. Like, you're building this much hype around it. It doesn't matter whether it's negative hype or good hype. Because like we've seen on social media, bad hype is hype regardless. People are going to hate watch something so much. Um, And despite all of the negative buzz that the movie gained, critics and audiences raved about it after it was released. So much so that it's now considered a cult film. Its sequel did have a wider release, but it underperformed in the box office. And, like, how do you... Okay, so, (laughs) you flopped in the box office the first time. But then you release the movie in the box offices again and flop even harder? Hello? In October of 2020... There was a rumor of a TV series on the way, and I can imagine the pandemic had something to do with it, um, and now probably the strike if it's even still in production. I hope it's still in production, though, because just like Jawbreakers, mm, which I don't think I've talked about on here, but Jawbreakers is the same thing, a uh, little cult classic, and there was a TV show that was supposed to be made out of it, and it just kind of it just kind of went into the abyss no one knows what's going on 
but I hope there's a TV show about it or I hope someone picks it up or something because Ginger Snaps is a great concept. It came before Jennifer's body and it's everything that you could want out of a creature feature woman movie, you know? Um, even even the, the lesbianism is in here, which is a little weird. It's a very weird... Uh, it's not even like a theory, but it's just like... I don't know. People have really weird ways of, of writing tension between female characters, whether they intend to or not. The movie Ginger Snaps uh, is about a teenage girl named Ginger and her sister Beatrice who live in the small Canadian town. They feel suffocated. They literally just want to end their lives. Like this movie, big trigger warning for suicide and self-harm because they are suicidal. Um, and they have this whole death pact that they'll die together. Um, and they're obsessed with death. But on a night out, they're going to play a prank on someone, I think, on like the mean girl of the school. Um, Ginger actually gets attacked by a werewolf. Of course, they don't know what it is at the time, but they get attacked. She gets attacked by a werewolf, and it's at the same time that she learns that she gets her period. Like, I'm telling you, she is free bleeding as the werewolf just like comes out of nowhere and drags her away. And then Sam hits the werewolf, and uh, then the rest of the movie is just kind of like ginger going through this metamorphosis of sorts as she's experiencing puberty beatrice is trying to help her as the devoted sister that she is she ends up finding help in sam um and then it just kind of spirals from there really before we get any further into this conversation in the case that you do not want things to be spoiled you have not seen this movie um, that is okay, I suppose, but make sure you check the movie out and then come right back to this conversation to be a part of it. If you do not want to be spoiled, this is your official warning to click off of it, but don't worry, we'll keep your seat warm, your snacks, the light on, like, it, everything will be ready for you when you come back. And in the case that you have already seen this movie or you don't care for it to be spoiled, you just are here for the vibes, then I I respect it. Thank you so much. So glad to have you here. And we will just dive right in. For some general notes, just j things that I wanted to talk about about this movie, uh, because I love the way that it's edited. I think... It's smart. Uh, the movie starts off softly, peacefully, with a quiet white picket fence neighborhood in Canada to establish what kind of environment Ginger and Bee live in. The suburban backyard of this family that you see symbolizes the values and social climate that the town probably has. And so this introduction also sets up for a steeper drop of energy once you're introduced to the horror of the movie for the first time. In addition, it juxtaposes the outcast behavior of Ginger and Beatrice. So it's like you live in this very like closed cul-de-sac with white picket fences and families and sandboxes. And then Ginger and Beatrice are making a horror student film where there's blood and guts and death just everywhere. 
and when you do meet them, they're film they're filming that like short film that they're making for class. And we later find out that the theme for this assignment is life in Bailey Downs, which is their town. So you already get the feeling that they just kind of feel suppressed by their environment. And this movie is known for its use of monsters as a metaphor for uh, puberty, which a lot of transformation creature feature flicks are known for being metaphors for transitioning and um, puberty or different identities. And so for this movie, it's puberty. And I think that I saw it in Eli Roth's History of Horror, um, where this movie was being talked about and being compared to femininity because of the parallels that it draws between the transformation to a werewolf and the transition to womanhood. Their biology class in the movie talks about quote-unquote normal innocent cells being invaded by a quote-unquote intruder as the mitosis process. Meiosis? Mitosis? I don't know what I'm talking about. Biology was never my thing. And so this brings into the conversation Ginger's period. Ginger's, the first kind of indicator that something's going on with Ginger is her back has been hurting all day and her mom suspects that it's cramps. And so after Ginger discloses this and her mom's like, where is it hurting? How is it hurting? Is it hurting here? Is it hurting here? And she's like, oh my gosh, maybe it's her period. And the whole family, besides the mother, is disgusted at the mention of her period, which kind of depicts this fear of womanhood that we see a little bit in the movie. Uh, later on, Ginger, because once she, okay, once she actually finds out that it is her period, uh, later on, Ginger asks B to shoot her if she starts whining and talking about PMS. And she also refers to her period as the curse. And when B is like, oh my gosh, like she looks terrified, Ginger feels a need to reassure her that it isn't contagious. Um, and then you also just like, the mom is very open and honest and embraces womanhood and which I love that. Um, and so, you know, when Ginger finally gets her period and she's, and the mom's like, our little girl is a young woman now. And she brings her a cake and it's like a whole celebration. But then the dad just kind of reacts like really awkwardly and weirdly and so it's just like it's an uncomfortable topic and I mean I think that's one part about this movie is that horror in itself is uncomfortable um it always has been but then when you add the topic of womanhood but particularly menstruation um it drives the uncomfortability meter up a lot especially for non-women so or well especially for straight cis men i'm not even gonna say non-women straight cis men and Catherine isabel was even in an interview talking about how i think it was like her brother's friends went to see the movie and they ended up talking about how they left early because it was so stupid and they it wasn't what they were expecting at all and it was just a bunch of girly stuff and i'm like of course, a classic male reaction. 
but uh, to draw this parallel between uh, the transformation of a werewolf and transformation into womanhood, Ginger's period is happening simultaneously with her metamorphosis. And B asks the school nurse about ginger symptoms. She has her back hurts. She's growing hair in places that she doesn't expect for it to be growing. She has cramps, like a lot of blood. Like there's a lot of bleeding. But the nurse literally just thinks they're talking about puberty only. And she gives them this very long lecture of like, that's just, that's just how it is. That's just what it is. You know, da, 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 da. But on the flip side of Ginger's puberty, something causes Jason uh, McCarty, who is a boy that they go to high school with, uh, it causes him to start experiencing it too. B accuses Ginger of giving the curse to him, which you're like, okay, so she turned him into a werewolf, but also the curse is puberty. So it's like puberty, werewolf, one in the same and now Jason is like, his his way of going through puberty is completely different from the way Ginger is experiencing it. And I'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, but Jason ends up bleeding, like peeing out blood and it's soaking through his pants. And so he's like at school and he's terrified and he's running through school and people see it. And his reaction, I feel like, resembles that of a girl who first learns that she got her period. She's bled through her pants and, like, she's stressed out and she's frenzied. And she's like, oh my gosh, like, this is so embarrassing. So I felt like that kind of, uh, that kind of, like, narrative flip of sorts was fun to see. Especially because they go beyond just just this there's there's layers to it that i'm excited to talk about um so there are uh, there are several themes in this movie there's themes of suicide sisterhood womanhood and sexuality the ones that i want to focus on are womanhood slash gender and sexuality and sexuality kind of goes hand in hand uh with the womanhood but I'll start talking about womanhood first. Um, so feminist scholar Bianca Nielsen wrote on gender snaps and said, by simultaneously depicting female bonds as important and fraught with difficulties, ginger snaps portrays the double binds teenage girls face. Ginger is an embodiment of these impossible binaries. She is at once sexually attractive and monstrous, natural and supernatural, human and animal, feminine and transgressive, a sister and a rival. And after Ginger is bitten, she sheds her oversized layers. She's like usually in a long sleeve shirt, baggy, um, a baggy sweatshirt, like a long skirt, her hair down, just like covering her face, no makeup, whatever, which, you know, is kind of like, she doesn't care about her appearance. She's not trying to attract anyone. She's just wearing what she's comfortable in, whatever. Um, but after she's bitten, she sheds these oversized layers and you see that she grows confident in her appearance. She starts to wear tighter clothes. Uh, she becomes sexually active and draws more distance between her and B. And she even uh, is kind of in this position of questioning male power. When she's hooking up with McCarty, um, 
I forget what, what, like, the conversation is, but she's, like, he was, like, oh, who's the guy here after, you know, Ginger says something, and she gets mad at this because she's, like, it, uh, it don't matter who the guy is here, like, I am superior right now, and so she's coming into this power that she never really explored, but also just never really had the confidence to see in herself either. And with this whole, uh, with this challenge of gender also, uh, Ginger tells B that the gender dynamics just aren't the same between boys and girls, men and women. After McCarty and Ginger hook up, she's like, McCarty can go around and talk about his experience with Ginger. Like, she's just a lay, that's as, as she says it, but she doesn't have that same freedom. She can't just go around and talk about it. But with this sudden care of her position in, in society and her care for her body and her appearance and her identity, Ginger complains about being fat and her mom starts lecturing her on fashion magazines, which during the 90s and early 2000s, fashion magazines and pop culture glorified thinness in women. Even now, body image and societal pressures on it are a large part of womanhood. So you see these kind of like small indications, I guess, that her caring for her, her sudden caring for her appearance um, is like a, like a transition into this womanhood, I guess. So in this universe that Karen Walton created, uh, lycan, lycanthropy, thropy, lycanthropy? Yep, sure. That is what werewolves are, lycanthropy. Um, they symbolize sexuality, confidence, womanhood, and STIs, question mark. Uh, Ginger grows more sexual, whereas she's never showed interest in it before. And, of course, with all movies like this, sexuality comes in the form of hunger, and her stomach growls when she's making out with McCarty. She doesn't end up eating him or killing him, um, but B asks Ginger when they're in a certain predicament, she asks Ginger, like, if she thought about eating the mean girl at school, and Ginger, like, says, oh my god, ew, no, that's like having sex with her, which, first of all, when I tell you this movie is very lesbian-coded, so the fact that she's saying ill, I don't know, that's a whole other thing, and we're about to get in, into it, um, right now actually while we're talking about it because I like the queer coding of this movie feels very loose if that makes sense it's like there's a weird tension and so you try to find a way to make sense of it because at the same time they're supposed to be sisters but you don't know how they're sisters because people have pointed out they just don't look alike they're in the same grade, and it's explained that B just skipped a grade. She's 15, one year younger than Ginger, but Beatrice skipped a grade because she's just that smart. Okay, fine. You're in the same grade, skipped a grade. Okay. They don't look alike. It's okay. Siblings don't always have to look necessarily alike, but, like, people just kind of feel like it's weird. It's weird, and this weird codependency that they have feels more than just like a sister relationship um 
And especially after Ginger gets bitten, there's a very weird tension between them. For the most part, it feels like you're having to dis- to suspend your disbelief and allow the movie to convince you that they're sisters instead of you actually believing it. And they already have that codependent, hyperdependent attachment, which feels more passionate than a normal sister relationship. The balanced jealousy from both girls when they start to give when they start to give in to attention from their respective male counterparts, um, it just also doesn't align with the conventional sister relationship. Like, I'm not going to sit here and get jealous over my sister all of a sudden spending time with a boy. First of all, that's just weird for me to get jealous. I don't know. That's my personal opinion. Have I gotten jealous over quote-unquote friends spending more time with a boy than me? Maybe. Am I outing myself right now? Maybe. I mean, you know, outing myself in terms of like, yeah, I'm guilty. I had crushes on friends before. But like, that's the thing. I had crushes on friends before. I would get jealous. It makes sense for me to feel that way. It does not make sense for Ginger and B to feel jealous over each other in that sense when it comes to like romance and sexuality. Further in the film, Ginger even says... This is crazy. No, Ginger says a lot of crazy things in this movie, but this is actually insane. This is like in the third act of the movie, and Ginger says, we're basically not even related. So if you've seen Jennifer's body, and you remember that part when Jennifer walks into her house, into, um, oh my god, what is her name? Crap, I don't even remember. But uh, when, when Jennifer walks into Homegirl's house, And she pushes her up against the wall and is like, are you scared? That is the same thing as Ginger saying we're basically not even related now. Like, she's all up in Beatrice's ear, like, saying this. And it's very sexually driven. Uh, Which, out of context, and even in context, it is weird to be saying to your sister. However, it gets worse. Like, you're like, no, there's no way that Ginger could say something crazier than that, but she does. She says that B should come along for the ride. She says Beatrice should, they should swap some juice. What juice are we talking about here? To make things even more confusing, Ginger's character arc aligns with the queer experience very well. The common denominator between Ginger's character and the queer experience is the social ostracism and shame that the queer community often faces and that we see Ginger kind of facing as well. After her transformation, she comes to resemble both masculinity and femininity, but while she embraces her femininity and its and confidence within it, it's her more masculine traits that she's trying to conceal and that she feels shamed of. And one part that really stuck out to me in terms of this was her taping her tail to the inside of her thigh, which the queer community knows that as tucking, Uh, but she's taping her tail and her tail is kind of symbolizing a penis. Like it's like, it's very in your face. Like that is what it's supposed to represent. But in on like on top of this, she's also just shaving every hair from her body So it kind of feels, specifically this, like these two moments feel transcoded. 
so whether this movie is truly queer coded or not i don't know it's very hard because some of the reasonings that i have read up on feel like we're just we're just pulling we are reaching it that's what it feels like it feels like we're reaching and we're trying to make sense of this really weird tension that b and ginger were written with and i don't know if we'll ever make sense of it i will say it's a queer film even though that technically uh makes it incestuous but also not because ginger ginger can be transcoded i guess Moving on to my likes of this film because I have quite a bit of likes actually. The first one being uh, the title sequence. I thought it was I thought it was smart because it makes clean transitions into the next scene. It offers more information on who these inf- who these characters are and it also acts as a foreshadow. It demonstrates Ginger and B's obsession with death and suicide. It's their student film for school, but they could have a real future in special effects worth. Let, let me just say it right here. Like, the way that they were staging their deaths for this film, oh, I mean, some special effects departments wish that they could achieve what Ginger and B were achieving. I also felt like the level of blood and guts was the right amount. I don't think there was there was never a time where you really saw a like uh, visceral image of like flesh tearing and and bone bones crushing and nothing nothing like that. But you might have heard it, um, and like the camera would cut very quickly before you got a chance to see it. You did see blood and guts, but it was after the mayhem had ensued, which I thought was also, I thought that it was a nice way of kind of building this suspense because this, the mystery of this monster, of this, you know, initial werewolf is built up until Ginger is attacked by it. You're like, what, what the heck is doing this? Of course, you know, you're watching a werewolf movie, but you're like, hmm. Who was killing all of these dogs? Oh yeah, also dogs are dying left and right. I don't know what this werewolf has against dogs. I don't support it. Um, But anyways, but that also leads me to talk about the special effects um, and the makeup because this movie heavily relies on practical effects, which you know I'm a sucker for practical effects. Catherine Isabel, who played Ginger, spent at least five hours in the makeup chair every day to create the metamorphosis look. It took another two hours to remove. She had to wear contacts that messed with her vision, teeth that messed with her speech, and a full facial prosthetic that gave her a runny nose, which kind of makes sense as to why she sounded a little nasally, because I've heard her in other movies and she don't sound like that. But the entire time, it sounded like she had, it sounded like she had some sinus problems. I also, like I said a little bit before, the editing of the scenes played on your emotions. So they built, uh, they built suspense with long static shots. So you would just like, the camera would just sit on one particular subject, one particular room, whatever it was for a really long time. And you're like, okay, what's going to happen? When on the scene where the werewolf is kind of finally exposed 
you see like the the camera draws your attention to this like a uh, rocking horse on the playground and the rocking horse is moving but it's like okay who like nobody was just on it so why is it moving and that's you know because it's from the werewolf the werewolf is actively running and that's when you learn a little too late that the werewolf is near um and then also you know like it sits with the darkness for a really long time as ginger as a werewolf lurks in the dark in the third act and you're like is she gonna jump out where is she is she even in there because all you hear is her snarling and breathing I also like uh, the scene, like, when we first meet Ginger and Beatrice, they're establishing their suicide pact, and then it immediately cuts to Ginger on a fence, like, she is staked on a white picket fence, and you think that they literally just killed themselves, which are also, it throws you off guard, because this movie is supposed to be about them. Why did they just kill themselves? But it's just a fake out. It's for their student film, which you later find out. But I like that because I think every time I watch it, a, there's a part of me that forgets. And I'm like, what? What the heck? And then I slowly remember again. Another thing that I liked was the way that they draw parallels to Ginger's metamorphosis and Jason's after they sleep together. So Ginger, uh, I mean, yeah, she's going to tell. Yeah, she's growing hair in places she don't want it. But other than that, she is hot. And Jason, on the other hand, develops patchy red skin and pimples as part of his transition. I think the emotion in the movie was also really good. They had a, There was a very sad ending. And I think it can be seen as Bridget accepting the possibility of a future because she comes to say that she doesn't want to die at all. Whereas in the beginning of the film, she wanted to die. So it's like... She's, accepted, she's accepting the possibility of a future and happiness, thus breaking their death pact. Or uh, if the desire to die and becoming a werewolf and all of that was kind of like qu the queer coding of the movie, Bridget not wanting to die could also be seen as her becoming complacent with heteronormity, heteronormativity. But either way you see it, there is pain and loss. At the very end, the movie kind of closes out with B laying on Ginger as she takes her last breath. And I don't think it it's just a moment between sisters, but a moment to mourn everything else that Bridget lost with Ginger, lost his sister, lost, I mean, and if we want to think, if we want to say it's queer, she lost the love of her life too. I'm just saying, for those, for those queer, or for, for those queers, no. For those B and Ginger stands out there, uh, shippers, I, I'm not, I'll silently judge you. I wanted to be queer. I do, but I just don't, <sighs> the sister thing really throws me off. I'm sorry. I do think that the mother-daughter dynamic was written very well. In a lot of dramatic teen movies around the 2000s, uh, these dynamics were depicted as troubled. There was a lot of drama, a lot of fighting. But Ginger and Bridget's mom, she was a real ride or die. And when the walls start to close in on Ginger and her blood trail starts to become unveiled, um, their father starts to question both Ginger and Bee's general innocence. And the mom responds, 
stay in your own little world, Henry. This one just confuses you. Which, okay, gaslight, girl boss, wait, girl boss, wait, gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. Yeah. <laughs> Once the parents find discarded fingers from uh, Ginger's first victim, so to speak, uh, the mom plays them off as props because they're always working with with like severed limbs and and like cut fingers and whatever she acts apprehensively after she puts this tupperware in the fridge which kind of leads you to believe that she may be covering for the girls like she doesn't believe that they're props um and she's actually genuinely concerned but she would rather cover for them than to see them get in trouble which you know when the mothers of men do it you know like the mother of ted bundy or the mother like when they do it i'm like mm, no when women do it mm, okay just kidding i'm just kidding y'all maybe um i also so i saw this like little idiom that i wanted to give a moment to and so y'all know the phrase of like don't cry over spilled milk yeah uh so ginger's first victim unintentionally so or maybe it was like the way that this victim went out ginger didn't mean to kill them in that moment but i think ginger wanted to kill them regardless either way the victim falls uh knocks over a carton of milk on their way down to the floor and it spills on the floor and so i kind of thought like don't cry over spilled milk uh, and whether that was the intention or not, that is what I saw in this scene. And so that idiom kind of means like there's no use in worrying about past events that can't be changed. Because this movie inadvertently discusses life paths, just like the way that nature and fate and destiny all intertwine, I think the filmmakers ultimately hoped that viewers could gain the understanding that there's no option but to keep looking forward in life instead of worrying about everything behind you, which I think can also be, um, it can also be commentary on their suicide pact, so to speak. It's like they didn't, they, they didn't want to look forward, um, and they were only, like, staying in their present or only looking back. They didn't really see a way to move forward there wasn't a future that they were looking to um and whether like i said whether that was the intention or not i picked up on it and i thought that it was a it was a cool little little background moment now for my dislikes honestly usually my dislikes aren't very concrete with like the way that the film was made which i gotta do better with that i think i'm a little too nice but uh these first two are like narratively so the first dislike that i have is uh b and sam concoct this remedy for the curse right and b is given one syringe only and she's on her way to find ginger and on her way there she encounters jason who is on a rampage and she uses her only syringe on Jason and I don't know if she did it with the intention of testing it out or if she genuinely like was just thinking in the moment but to me I'm like why would you use your only syringe on Jason because now you got to make more for Ginger 
Something else uh, that I just didn't like was, so this town, you got this town of all white people. I don't think I saw a single person of color besides the janitor who was an Asian man. And that Asian man just so happened to die and be called a pedophile at that. Like, is this how we treat our characters of color? Hello. And then my last is like, this one actually, I, I don't know if I, I missed something narratively, like, if I missed a part of the scene where this was, where, like, context was given to this, or if it genuinely just, like, doesn't make sense, but, uh, Trina, the mean girl at the school, is bullying B consistently, and pushes her down to the ground, well, she pushes her down into a dog, like, a, a a seemingly dead dog with its guts out. And they're all, like, laughing, and Beatrice is, like, disgusted. But to me, and then, like, later, I think in the next scene, you see Trina with a dog that looks like the dog that was on the ground supposedly dead. So I don't know if the dog that was on the ground was supposed to be Trina's, and if so, did they really, like, stage that? How did they have the time? Where'd they get the prosthetics? And if not, then why was there a dead dog on the field close enough for people to actively be using the field, playing on the field, and nobody see it? Like, it's just like, there were things a part of this that really just did not make sense for me. And I, it's a small thing, really. But at the same time, I think it's just like, it's so small, but also it just stayed with me and it really bothers me that I can't understand what the heck is going on. (laughs) But overall, I rate this movie a five stars out of five because when you're talking about feminist horror, queer horror, like this is a staple and I'm gonna love and enjoy any staple of feminist and or queer horror. Um, I also just really love the prosthetics, like I said, so this is a 5 out of 5 for me every time. I, you can see that on Letterboxd if you wish, at Avery C-O-F, um, and all my other socials are Your Horror Podcast. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Substack. I think next episode will be my Halloween my Halloween watch list episode with the evil Tyrone, who is another black horror content creator, a friend of mine, very excited to have him on the podcast. And I'm excited for you all to hear what he has to say about his love for horror, passion for horror, why he became a content creator, um, and the movies that he just absolutely has to watch for the Halloween season. Now that is coming out on my next episode, which will be in two weeks. In between then, If you want to hear my reviews on what I'm watching, horror news, whatever, um, make sure you sign up for my Substack newsletter. And yeah, I think that's all that I have for you all. But thank you, as always, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope I gave you a new way to look at this movie or just gave you, you know, a desire to watch this movie. I hope I didn't spoil too much. Um, I really tried not to. But either way, I hope you enjoy it if you choose to watch it. And I will catch you next episode. Bye!